Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, November 12th, 2010. I just love the smell of theological controversy in, in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening, especially when I seem to be stuck in the middle of it. Hey. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith, otherwise known as Apocalypse Now. Our <laughs> Okay, I'm in a weird mood today. Um, yeah, I'm your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the program that, well, attempts to dish up a daily dose of biblical discernment and to <laughs> help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. I uh, <clears throat> have found myself embroiled in controversy, not because I'm trying to seek out controversy. Well, it's because that, uh, you know, at times I take a different position than people do, or I take a different side of a controversy than people do. And, you know, for me, it's always about the principle at stake. Um, And uh, so I find myself embroiled in controversy at the moment regarding my meeting with Dan Kimball. People have accused me of fraternizing, uh, fraternizing with the enemy, promoting somebody who is a blatant heretic, and uh, other things, and uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, the reality is, is that uh, well, no, he's not a heretic unless he was lying to my face. And uh, Dan and I exchanged emails today. He saw the uh, uh, he saw some of the controversy and uh, and uh, offered his help. And uh, I I basically told him that the the way he could help out, I thought that would be the really appropriate way would be for him to come on the program. And uh, and he's uh, he's initially agreed to come on the program. We're just working out the date. And so obviously it's not today. Uh, I'm hoping for Monday because uh, if I don't get him on the program Monday, he's uh, heading off to uh, a tropical uh, resort for a, a long extended vacation. And uh, and uh, our two paths will not be able to cross again until sometime in December. So uh, that being the case, I, I want you all to know that uh, Dan Kimball has uh, tentatively and initially agreed to come on the program. And uh, the purpose of that interview is to uh, ask him about his uh, his orthodox beliefs. And uh, so that you can hear it from the horse's mouth itself. It, 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 well, he's not a horse. 
anyway, so that you can hear it from him, you know, himself, and uh, and not have to get this uh, second-hand report from me. And and by the way, there are others who. Uh, uh, who, who share my opinion regarding Dan Kimball. There's other folk out there uh, in the uh, in the wider discernment uh, theological world who have the same conclusion uh, that I've come to, and I came to the conclusion because of the evidence. Now, uh, one of the things that I think is interesting is in a controversy like this is that people hear things that I don't say. And uh, as a result of it, um, y'all need to be real careful uh, that you don't draw conclusions or hear me say things that I haven't said. And, uh, you know, basically what I'm arguing for, just so you know, let me reiterate, is is that based upon my uh, conversations with Dan Kimball, and uh, it was not a short conversation I had. I spent six hours with him. Uh, based upon my time with him and my conversations with him, come to find out that he does not deny any of the cardinal uh, primary doctrines of uh, the Christian faith, historic orthodoxy. And in fact, he rather vigorously affirms them, rather passionately affirms them. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, that means that he's not a heretic. And uh, I, I, you know, based upon his own confession, I, he, he has given me every reason to believe that he is my Christian brother. Now, does that mean that I endorse or promote everything that he's done? No. Does that mean that I think that he doesn't need to publicly clarify his position regarding some things? No. I think Dan Kimball actually does need to uh, publicly clarify some things because... Uh, there's some troubling things uh, that Dan's name has got atta- gotten attached to. And uh, as a result of it, I think it's uh, it's important for the church at large to hear from Dan Kimball himself so that Dan Kimball can define Dan Kimball, not me, not anybody else, but Dan Kimball. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm praying and hoping that uh, Monday turns out to be the day that that gets to take place here at Fighting for the Faith. And uh, so that you can hear for yourself what he believes, teaches, and confesses. And once you understand what he believes, teaches, and confesses, you can draw your own conclusions. Either he's telling the truth or he's not telling the truth. That's for you to decide. But if you're going to think that he's not telling the truth, then, well, you better have reason to believe it. One of the things I found interesting is that uh, some people on my Facebook wall uh, you know, were, were in dialogue with me about this, and they were saying, well, he needs to repent of, of uh, he needs to repent. And I said, okay, fine. Which heresies has he promoted in the past that he needs to repent of? Which cardinal doctrine in Christianity has he attacked or denied that he needs to repent of? And every time I've pressed for details, they've never, um, well surfaced. So, um, that's kind of troubling. So anyway, that, that's kind of where we're at right now. That's our monologue today. Today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, I'm, I'm, I'm naming it the Freaky Friday edition. Freaky Friday edition. It's going to be interesting. Uh, the reason why is because on today's lineup, right after I do email, we've got uh, news from William Tapley, we got Patricia King, and then a Joel Osteen sermon review. So this is our Freaky Friday edition of Fighting for the Faith. Uh, just you know, just what the doctor ordered. So you know that uh, that's what you have forward to look forward to. to look forward to look forward. Does, did that sound like that sentence came from the Department of Redundancy Department? Yeah, I think so. I, I need to uh, go to school to learn how to talk better or gooder. I need to talk. I need to learn how to talk gooder. 
Anyway, all right, moving along here. I, I do want to do a little bit of email, though, before we get into the Freaky Friday edition of Fighting for the Faith. Notice the alliteration there? Yeah, that was on purpose. So, um... Got an email that I want to pass along today in light of the controversy regarding Dan Kimball. Henning writes me from, uh, am I reading this right? South Africa. Wow. Yeah, folks, we have listeners in South Africa. In fact, uh, what's funny is is that if you were to look at our audience, you know, uh, where's the fastest growing segment of our audience from? It's from outside of the United States. Uh, New Zealand being uh, one of the hotbeds of where our new listeners are coming from. Okay, Henning writes, he says, uh, greetings, Chris. Greetings, Henning. Thank you for uh, the greetings. He says, I'm writing this to let you know that not everyone thinks you are fraternizing with the enemy. Thank you, Henning. I'm, <laughs> I'm so glad to know that not everybody thinks I'm fraternizing with the enemy. By the way, uh, folks... Um, I, I want to point something out here, and uh, and, and that is this, is that uh, I think there's a, a certain segment of folk out there who are worried that I'm being rope-a-doped or sucked into the emergent orbit, uh, that, uh, that really what's going on here is that these folks are trying to get to me so that they can turn me into one of their theological robots. <laughs> yeah, that's just not going to happen. Not because I'm so amazing. It's just because, you know, listen, my theology hasn't moved at all. Let me let me give you a little bit of a history lesson here. A few years ago, Bob Dewey and I actually had the opportunity to meet with none other than Rick Warren. And uh, and what was interesting is is that you know uh, when I received the invite, there were other folks who also received invitations, and they turned them down. And uh, and one of the reasons that was given for uh, you know at least in, in some cases why people turn them down is because uh, that Rick Rick Warren apparently had uh, rope-a-doped somebody in the discernment camp. And uh, and after meeting with Rick Warren, uh, this person's uh, wife was so enthralled by how charming and nice he was that uh, that guy kind of fell off the horse and uh, wasn't uh, appropriately critical of uh, the false teaching of Rick Warren for a while. And so uh, so people were concerned that uh, as uh, you know, for me, as, as I had gone to meet with Rick Warren, they were concerned that he was going to somehow go go. And use his, uh, you know, his amazing um, charisma and super charm, you know, his Clinton-esque uh, way of giving you a hug and, you know, and just being your friend and, and then go, and then as a result of it, my brain would go, and then I would lose my backbone and that I would become a, a Rick Warren zombie. I think that was what people's concerns were. So I noticed that there was like a collective holding of the breath while Bob Dwayne and I met with them. Rick Warren. And here's what happened. First, you know, pretty much first thing after my meeting with Rick Warren on uh, one of my blogs, I posted, well, uh, thank you. Yeah, I I wrote an open letter to Rick Warren thanking him for his gracious hospitality and for his time. (laughs) And and uh, right after I posted that thank you, which, by the way, is kind of like the normal thing people do when, you know, they've somebody else has paid for them to do something and they've been a gracious host. You generally, you know, thank the person. 
<laughs> after I did that, there were people who go, oh, no, Chris, is, he's become one of them. He's, we've lost Chris. <laughs> I saw the response to that, and I just went, what? <laughs> How did you come to that conclusion? It's like, you've got to be kidding me. And so, you know, apparently I was overly nice. Yeah, I was... Way too over the top nice to Rick Warren by, you know, thanking him for his generosity and hospitality, <laughs> you know. And, the, and so, well, I I want to point something out here. Uh, people's concern at that time apparently turned out to be unfounded. Uh, reason being is because shortly after that, we launched Pirate Christian Radio and uh, my critiques of Rick Warren have been uh, public and very vocal and very strong. And, uh, of course, they're based upon content, not I don't think Rick Warren's a gunky head, and I don't think his mom dresses him funny. I don't engage in it at hominem attacks when it comes to the people that I'm critiquing. At least I try not to. I think with the uh, the warrior sermon, that I think that was really uh, kind of an odd time. I think that did kind of cross the line into... Uh, at hominem attacks. Remember the the warrior. Anyway, that's a yeah. That 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 was one of those times that I <clears throat> I don't think I quite stuck to my non ad hominem rule. But anyway, uh, so that that was not see this, folks. If you if you know me, if you followed my blogs, if you followed this radio program, then one of the things that you've learned about me, hopefully, is is that I make it a point to get to know folks. And uh, what you don't see happening here is, is that, you know, for instance, Perry Noble, I'm, I'm one of his harshest critics. I regularly and frequently attempt to reach him and to have a conversation with him. And I regularly invite him onto the program. And every single time I've invited Perry Noble onto the program, his secretary has called and said, I'm sorry, but mm, Pastor Perry can't be making it onto your program. But thanks you, thank you for uh, asking. You know, so I, I, I'm regularly, constantly, and uh, and you know, passionately trying to reach out to these folks. Why? Because our battle isn't against flesh and blood; it's against the powers, the principalities. So, in other words, to kind of give the Roseboro spin on it, I, I believe that that text is making it clear that our battle is for for our our erring brothers and sisters and for heretics to bring them to repentance and uh, and the forgiveness of sins and so um i i just don't i my conscience can't allow me to just sit here behind a microphone and my my computer laptop and think that that's somehow the most effective way of reaching out to these folks i mean it's an important part of all of it but it's more important that I meet them face to face, that I shake their hands, I get to know them, we talk about our kids, we, uh, you, you think, you know, we get to know each other, stuff like that. I mean, so part of my week on a week on a weekend week out basis is actually communicating to my friends who are well heretics. You think you, you do that? Yeah. I, in fact, I was re I, now not that Frank Turk is a heretic. He's not, but I, I recently had a conversation with Frank Turk from the Pyromaniacs blog. Great guy, by the way. And uh, you know, and Pyromaniacs guys. I mean, they're my Christian brothers. These guys are spectacular. Talk with Frank Turk, and he, he asked me, he says, "Now, can you explain to me um, how that friendship with Doug Patchett works?" <laughs> yes, I can. It works this way. Doug and I 
Our friendship is built on disagreement. Is that possible? Yes. Have you ever have you ever talked with somebody you disagree with? <laughs> I, I it's like a lost art or something. I I feel like I've invented fire. You know, it's like, yeah, take a look at this. I've got this really cool invention. It's fire. And people are going, "Wow, we've never seen that before." Even though it's been here for like the whole time anyway. So, uh, you know, I make a point of getting out to meet people. So, when I travel and and uh, and I say thank you or I give a public uh, nod or approval or say something kind, you ever, who ever heard of something like that saying something kind to somebody who's a heretic? I you know, that it all comes out again over and over again. People, are, oh no, we're losing Chris. He's he's been they, they've they've co opted him. Where he's oh <laughs> we're not no <laughs> no. Uh, so if you're familiar with the way I do things, then you then you know that I strongly believe that because of the gospel that I that I believe is there in the scriptures that is so clearly taught, the one that I hold to believe, teach, and confess and defend here on a daily basis on fighting for the faith, that that gospel compels me. It compels me. To go and to get to know people and to accurately understand their theology, who they are, whether they're a heretic, uh, whether they're just uh, 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 confused, or whether they, you know, they're completely, you know, lost and incapable of being reached. But at least I tried to reach them, and so as a result of it, I mean, folks, we're all sinners. We are all sinners, and the way I read the scriptures is that Christ died for the sins of the whole world, the whole world. And so I don't know if these heretics are going to respond to the preaching of the gospel and repentance and the forgiveness of sins and and in faith and trust in Christ. I don't know, but I'm never going to know if I don't actually try to reach them. And in trying to reach them, I, it's more than me. I, I don't go with a bullhorn and, you know, and open it up and, like, you know, turn the microphone on as I'm meeting face-to-face with them going, Hey, this is, uh, this is Chris here, and uh, you need to repent or you're going to hell. Uh, you get. No, I don't do that. And, you know, although I do, I do get to the repentance and hell part. But that part comes up in conversation that includes things as... Inoculus is, how's your daughter doing in college? How's how's your back? I, I you know you had surgery a few weeks ago and I was praying for you. You, you see what I'm saying? The gospel that the, that the scriptures reveal is this good news that Christ died for all of our sins, all of them, and that we're to go and call. Sinners to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And I find it far more effective to preach that gospel when I reach out to people and treat them as, well, human beings for whom Christ died. People whom God loves. Because scriptures tell us it's not his will that any should perish. So I don't have to go and be pugnacious and and get in people's faces and look down my nose at them. Instead, I can come to them and say, listen, as one sinner to another, let me tell you the good news. 
as one sinner to another. Let me tell you about the blood of Jesus. And so continue to pray for me that I never waver from that gospel. But when you see me and hear me meeting with people whom you may not know the full story of their theology, whom, for all intents and purposes, somebody we should be concerned about or considered to be dangerous in the church, understand that those times when I'm meeting with those folks, it's so that I can know the truth, it's so that I can reach them with the love of Christ, and so that I can preach the gospel to them, whether they're friend or foe, whether they're brothers in Christ or enemies of the cross. I'm going to do that. And so pray for me that I never waver from that. But I can tell you this, my meeting with Dan Kimball has nothing to do with Dan Kimball co-opting me. It has to do with getting to know this man and to know the truth. And when I know the truth, I'm going to stick to my guns, even if it's unpopular, even if that's not the popular position and that everybody else doesn't understand how I came to that conclusion. If you're not sure, ask me, I'll tell you. And like I said on yesterday's program, I could be wrong. I could totally be wrong. But if I'm wrong, show me from God's word. If Dan Kimball really has attacked and denied the cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith, then show me where and when he's done that. Because, as he told me today, if he's really done that, he will repent. This is a man who wants to be faithful to the Word of God. Are there some serious things in his methodologies that may undermine the gospel that he believes? Yes. That being the case, I will continue to approach him as my Christian brother and through our friendship, where there's things that I think are not in alignment with what God's Word teaches, I'll share that with him and call him to repentance and ask him to do the greater thing, the better thing. Will he do it? I don't know. But you know what's really nice is having the friendship and the relationship there and the respect and the respect that makes it possible for that message to be heard. So if I'm going to get raked over the coals because I've shown kindness to somebody, even somebody whose methodologies may be dangerous, who may have been fraternizing with emergent heretics, then I'll take my lashes because I will continue to show kindness I will continue to show kindness to heretics. And even when I critique people's theology or their sermons, I'm not doing it to be mean. I'm doing it to reach out to them and correct them and rebuke them so that their doctrine will be sound because I care about them and I care about the people who are listening to them. That's why I do what I do. So coming back to uh, Henning's email, 
All right, so I'm writing to let you know that not everyone thinks that you're fraternizing with the enemy. I, I listened intently to your uh, uh, to your feedback on your time you spent with Dan Kimball. I find it surprising that a number of folks started speculating vehemently, for example, Facebook, about you calling Dan a Christian brother. I, just, I was discussing this last night with Bill Swirla, and we both agree that this is a symptom of lazy thinking. Now, Henning, I can understand how you would think that, but I think that's kind of putting the worst case construction on it rather than the best case. Because the, the reality is, is that if you asked me a, um, a year and a, maybe a year and a month ago what I thought of Dan Kimball, I would have gone, ooh, um, mm, yeah, I, I, I'm not comfortable with him. There's some, there's some, there's, mm, there's some dangerous stuff going on there. That's what I would have said. And um, and I think I would have rightly done so. Let me give you an example, okay? Um, Dan Kimball, back in 2007, contributed to a book called The Emergent Manifesto of Hope. And the, the, the other authors who contributed to this book reads like a who's who in, uh, in emergent, uh, irrational, postmodern liberalism. And... Um, and see, that's one of those things where it's really difficult to not engage in guilt by association because that was not just association. That was guilt by contribution. And so, uh, you know, there's some things there. That, and, and that was as early as 2007. But put it back into its context. In 2007, Brian McLaren was still trying to be evasive. Uh, and what we know today f- with certainty about the emergent church, we didn't know with certainty back then. In fact, I, I took a lot of flack back in 2007 for the stand that I took against McLaren and uh, the emergence. And uh, there were others who took a lot of flack. So uh, it's not laziness. It's not laziness, nor is it lazy thinking. I think there are there are well-founded, well-grounded concerns uh, regarding uh, Dan Kimball. The problem is is that when you take the time to research and to get to know more about Dan Kimball, then you find out that, you know, that he, what you thought his theology should have been based upon those whom he's, he, his, his authorship has contributed to, um, you find out that what is his theological allegiance isn't there, and you find out where it really is. You realize that there, there's some disconnects here. That uh, that in reality, the only person who can clear this up is Dan Kimball, and so um, that's one of the reasons why I invited him on my program is in order to do that. So, no, I don't think this is about lazy thinking. I think this is about a very, very well, well reasoned uh, defense of the Christian faith in light of a very real and dangerous attack launched against uh, Christianity by the emergence and Dan Kimball's being used by them and, well, being, in his case, willingly, you know, contributing to uh, some of their stuff that created the uh, the public impression that he's, that he's theologically in the same camp that they are. And so no, this is not lazy thinking. No, I think this is well-founded uh, uh, concern. Anyway, let me continue. I have several friends who uh, who come from way back uh, school and university days who are prominent in part of the emergent movement uh, and word of faith, emerging church, and so forth here in South Africa. I get together with them whenever possible, and we discuss and debate theology, almost to the point of bloodshed. Not really, but I'm just reinforcing the point. Would that make me emergent? No, not on your life. I am uh, Lutheran though, through and through, 
and they know it. I speak the truth in love with my friends. They do not always agree with me. Most of the time, actually, they don't agree with me at all. I listen to them. I let them speak. Once I fully understand their position on a certain matter, I then tell them why I do not agree, and I back it up with Scripture. We respect each other, and we value our friendship. We have a meal, debate theological issues, and then we bury the hatchets and have a beer and a cigar. I pray for my friends that God would be gracious to them and open their eyes to the errors of their ways. Now, I want to point something out here. Side note for those of you who are going, <laughs> you have a you you have an adult beverage and a cigar. Can can you be a Christian and have a cigar? Well, <clears throat> Spurgeon, mm-hmm, he likes cigars, so the answer is yes. Anyway, we continue. Does the fact that I fraternize with emergent adherents make me one of them? Of course not. Should I not be fraternizing with them in order to not be found guilty by association? Absolutely not. Jesus spent more time with tax collectors and prostitutes uh, than with the religious types. And uh, we are, after all, to let our light shine before men. How can we do this if we're, if we're not spending time with them? Yeah, it, right, exactly. I completely agree with you. Just because I or you, or in Dan's case, spend time with people who are not 100% in complete agreement with my theological viewpoints, can you say uber dogmatic, does not make me one of them. That's correct. I submit that it would be, in fact, very unloving if I distance myself from my friends just because they do not agree with me or because they might be heretical in their theology. Henning, I, I couldn't agree more. How can we proclaim the good news if we isolate ourselves from uh, certain people or peoples or groups? Jesus did not come to save good Christians. He came to save sinners. As long as we proclaim the gospel clearly and without compromise and contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints, we should definitely be reaching out and engaging people who are taking a stroll down the wrong path. How much do I have to hate my friends to just abandon them merely because they are differing from my beliefs? If I truly believe what I believe, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone, then I have no other option but to speak the truth openly to my friends. That's right. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23 reads, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Great passage, Henning. I thank you once again for the work that you're doing at Pirate Christian Radio and Fighting for the Faith. Keep engaging the emergence. Keep becoming all things to all people that by all means some might be saved. We are constantly being blessed by this ministry. Peace be with you, Henning. Henning, thank you for that fantastic email and for those words of encouragement. And thank you for understanding and listening to what it is that I've been communicating, why I do what I do, because it's all about the cross. It's all about grace and the forgiveness of sins. And how unloving, as you said, how unloving would we be if we distanced ourselves from folks who were going down the wrong path? 
Those are the folks we need to reach. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And if our friends are heading down the path of lostness, what kind of friends would we be if we didn't go and ankle tackle them so that they wouldn't continue down that path and bring them the gospel and show them that we love them through our deeds? That's what I'm saying. And Henning got it. Thank you. All right, we're up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. Uh, my email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We will be right back. Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> You're listening to the Emergence Sports Network here on Pirate Christian Radio. You've tuned in just in time to catch today's Emergence Ball match between the Pomo Bombers and the Majestic Mystics. Today's match is proudly brought to you by Rex Quando's Bible Pants. There's the buzzer, and they're off. McLaren dribbles a pigskin down to first base, takes out his putter, and... Whoa! Jones checks McLaren against the boards, and then passes to Paget in left field. But wait, Bulls Weber is charging from the 10-yard line, and she slam-dunks from the foul line. That's a birdie. The crowd is going wild. When was the last time you saw something like that? I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. Okay, play is resuming. There's Rollins. He serves to Bell. Bell snatches the snitch. And then Hail Mary passes to McLaren. McLaren is in the end zone. Oh, and he slaps it back to third base. Tickle grabs her wicket and then punts one out into center court. It looks like Jones and Padgett are double-teaming Bowles Weber. He doesn't have a shot, so she slices one off into the rough. McLaren is there to make the safety, but Padgett grabs McLaren's face mask and then throws down to second base. What a brilliant save that was. Jones takes out his driver, then sends one out to midfield. Tickle headbutts the ball and then sends it back to McLaren. He vaults over the pummel horse. Oh, and he sticks the landing! Unfortunately, the degree of difficulty wasn't that high, but McLaren racked up seven brownie points. Tickle sets up for the kickoff. But wait, Jones is trying to steal third base. Tickle slap shots the ball back to Bulls Weber, but Jones is safe. He's safe. That means it's going to be third down with 44 meters to the pin. 
Looks like this match is going to go into sudden death. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Being all things to all people requires you to be willing to take the shots for being kind and loving towards your sinful neighbor and call them to repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can, well, actually, when you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right. Um, It's... uh, Time to uh, move along here. Uh... That's great. It starts with an earthquake. Birds and snakes and airplane. Lenny Bruce is not afraid. I have a hurricane. Listen to yourself. Turn world to its own needs. Dummy, serve your own needs. Beat it up and not speak. Grunt, no street. That's right. It can only mean one thing. Ha! William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. Has a new video up. Tribulation update. Come on, everyone! You got to sing along at this coming this point. Ready? Right? It's the end of the world as we know it. End of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I, I feel, feel fine. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry for tor- yeah, those of you who, whose ears are bleeding. I apologize. Uh, you know, just go visit your doctor. He'll give you something to clear that right up. Anyway, uh, William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. Uh, you know, we're, we the tribulation began apparently on um, October 13th of 
well, just, you know, last month. And uh, and so, well, now we've got the question that's before us. Will President Barack Obama start World War III before one 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 one? Now, that would be January 1st of 2011. Now, see, I just I wonder if William Tapley's buying time here because, well, yesterday was Veterans Day and it was one 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 zero, and uh, and so you know, I mean, I'm concerned here. I mean, because I'm just not seeing a lot of um evidence in the headlines that. You know, the <clears throat> tribulation has started. And so, you know, uh, but to Third Eagle, you know, he, he sees things that nobody else sees. And so we're going to check in with the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse here, William Tapley, and, uh, well, get our tribulation update. So here we go. Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse and the co-prophet of the end times. You know, it makes you wonder who is he co-profiting with? I, did I have I, I you know, every time he says that I'm sitting there going, hmm, is there a fourth eagle out there or a third and a half eagle that he co-profits with? Cuz you know, I never see his co-profit on these videos. It's something I've noticed. <clears throat> Sorry, did I interrupt him? Let's continue. This program I want to talk about the seven most dangerous weeks in American history. And those are the weeks we are about to enter. And the question is, will President Obama provoke Russia into World War III in these next seven weeks? Yeah, you would hope that Obama would not be that foolish. In other words, before the 1st of January, 2011. You know, no, that, no, I know that seems like a significant date, you know, 1-1-1-1. One, 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 one. But, you know, if 1-1-1-1 if one, 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 one comes by and nothing has happened, well, don't worry, because we still have one 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 one. That would be January eleventh, twenty eleven. As my regular subscribers know, Obama is found in Bible prophecy. He is the last king of the South in Daniel chapter number eleven, and he is the leopard as found in Daniel chapter number seven. Daniel chapter eleven, verse number forty, is a prophecy of World War Three. And now the question is, why would Obama? Want to start World War III before the first of the year. Yeah, that, I mean, that is that is a question. Because I remember, what's that line from the Princess Bride about, you know, how foolish it is to start a land war in Asia? You know, I'm just saying, you know. The problem for the New World Order elite is that since the election, we have in the United States a lame duck Congress. And in fact, President Obama is a lame duck president. That's because for the next two years... He will not be able to advance his New World Order agenda. And so they are asking themselves, would World War III advance the one world government more than a two years of a Tea Party Congress? Uh, wait a second. Whoa, whoa. Slow, slow. You, you are way confusing me here, um, Mr. Third Eagle. Um, didn't you just say that Obama was the leopard of Daniel in... Um, Okay, now I'm confused. If if he's a leopard, wouldn't how can he be a lame duck? You know, because I mean, wouldn't he be a lame leopard? You know, I'm, you're getting me all confused with these animal things. Now I want to show you where the fate of America is described in the Book of Revelation. Just as Obama is found in Daniel, so also 
is the whore of Babylon a description of America and Britain? And in fact, all of <laughs> Wow. So, uh, this is a new one by me. I had no idea that uh, America and Britain were engaged in prostitution with each other. Okay. Of our decade. And where, what did Babylon have? Oh, that's right. We probably... Never mind. Yeah, it makes you wonder if our occupation of Iraq has something to do with us whoring. I'm confused again. How did that lame duck thing work again? Western civilization. The fall of Barack Obama and the fall of the United States is found in Bible prophecy. And woe to you false prophets who do not believe this. Woe to you who say, for example, that the whore of Babylon in the book of Revelation refers to the Catholic Church. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Yeah, I think Martin Luther might have said something like that. Now, some of you are beginning to understand that the entity in Revelation 18 must be a commercial entity and therefore is the United States of America. Uh, what? But you still cling to the false belief that Revelation 17 tells a different story. Let me show you. How Babylon, as found in Revelation 18, is identical to Babylon, as found in Revelation 17. There are seven descriptions of Babylon. Yeah, I love it when he does that. He, he's <laughs> he's got some kind of a poster board up, and he's pasted on you know a print a printout copy of Revelation 17 1 through one and two, and then next to it he's got Revelation 19 two and. 18.3 and 18.9. Everything's out of context, but it's on yellow and pink paper, and he's using his finger. If you've ever seen a William Tapley uh, video, you really must see one. In chapter 17, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying to me, Come here, I will show you the judgment of the great whore that sits on many waters. And almost the exact same phraseology is found in chapter 19, verse 2. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he has judged the great whore. Notice how the whore of Babylon is described in decadent sexual terms. And the second description of Babylon in chapter 17. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. And almost the exact same thing is in chapter 18. Which... Kind of leads to a question, Mr. Tapley. Um, have, have you read the uh, Old Testament prophets? I mean, have you read Jeremiah? Have you read Isaiah? Have you read uh, you know, Amos? Have you, uh, you know, the minor, have you read those guys? Because, you know, this horror language that is in the book of Revelation sounds so much like the, mm, the horror language in the, um, Minor prophets and that whoring, um, boy, I just love talking about this topic in these terms. But that whoring was um, a false belief and whoring after false religion and false idols and false deities. Um, you know, um, yeah, it just you know, it just makes me wonder if that theme from the Old Testament, you know, the whoring of idolatry, isn't what's being picked up here and. Revelation 17. Not that I'm a co-prophet or anything like that. I mean, I you know, I wouldn't want to assert that I'm one of those. Hmm. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her. Don't forget, if you expect to be raptured, you primarily must be sexually pure. That is what Jesus means 
when he said you must keep oil in your lamps and your wick trimmed. That is sexual symbolism. <laughs> and the third description of Babylon in chapter 17. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. And we find almost the exact same phrase in chapter 18. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Jesus said that the end times would be as in the days of Lot. And the Bible also says that homosexuality is caused by luxury. And there's no doubt, one of the three great what? What? sins for which the whore of Babylon, that is America, will be destroyed is the sin of greed. And the fourth description of Babylon in chapter 17. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. And we find the exact same description in chapter 18. And saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. And we find a description of America because of our purchasing power. And no man shall buy their merchandise anymore. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet. Ah, so, yeah, because of the merchandise, that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt we're dealing with capitalist USA. In this next passage, we see that there is a difference between the whore of Babylon, as found in Revelation 17 and in Revelation 18. But the difference is not that they are a different entity, but a difference of time. In other words, chapter 17 describes Babylon today. That is present-day America. In chapter 18, we find out what will happen to the United States in the very near future. And the fifth definition of Babylon in chapter 17. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. We see the same phraseology in chapter 18. Standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is your judgment come. This is God's judgment upon America. And in verse 21, And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down. Notice how our decadent American culture, and in fact the entire West, is described in sexual terms. In other words, you have abortion, pornography, contraception, homosexuality, all of these crimes against sexual nature. These are prevalent in America. And remember what... Do you notice that he's taking symbolism and then interpreting it literally? <sighs> Jesus said, he said the end times, it would be as in the days of Noah and Lot. And the sixth definition of Babylon in chapter 17. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And in 18, we find almost the exact same description. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain on the earth. And in 19, verse 2, and has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. This passage also proves that the whore of Babylon cannot possibly be the Roman Catholic Church. 
And the key word here is avenged. These martyrs are not religious martyrs. They were not killed at the Spanish Inquisition. These martyrs seek vengeance. In fact, we see them first back in chapter 6. These are the innocents under the altar. The reason they seek vengeance is because they represent aborted babies. They did not fulfill their... What? The blood of the prophets are aborted... What? ...their life's potential. Remember, St. Stephen, for example, said, Lord, do not hold this crime against them when he was being stoned. And Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But these victims... These are not religious victims. These are victims of the crime of abortion. These are the 50 million dead babies who are, have been aborted in the United States of America. And the seventh description of Babylon in chapter 17. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. Now let's look at chapter 18. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. And in verse 9, shall mourn and lament for when they shall see the smoke of her burning. So in conclusion, we see that both Daniel and the book of Revelation prophesy the downfall of our president, Barack Obama, and the United States of America. God has given us many warnings that this will happen. For example, just this week, there was the mystery missile off of California. Now, the media calls this a, an airplane. Well, I doubt it very much, but even if it was, it is a sign that there could be missiles right off our coasts. And in fact, that's how I am sure we will be attacked. I am sure that the hour of fire that comes upon the United States will be a nuclear attack. All right. You might want to get ready for nuclear war. Apparently it's going to happen before the 1st of January because um, President Obama is a lame leopard. I mean, duck, president. Personally, I have my food stored. I have water. I have a wood stove in the kitchen. I have a generator because I know it is very likely that the New World Order will convince Barack Obama that the Tea Party Congress is not going to help them advance their New World Order agenda. World War III will provide the chaos and the New World Order mark of the beast, which is what they really want. And if you would like a free copy of... Yeah, no. Okay, there you have it. That's the latest... <laughs> <sighs> Just, you know, you hear stuff like that and you wonder, you know. Um, and moving along here, our Freaky Friday edition. Patricia King has another video out, and um, apparently Jesus wants you to have visions of him. Yep, it's our Freaky Friday edition of Fighting for the Faith here. Um, ahem. Here's uh, the latest and greatest uh, video from Patricia King um, uh, on visions of Jesus. Um, yeah, let's see what she has to say. Have you ever had a vision of Jesus? No. Would you like to? Um, 
this the the question is scaring me. Um, I'm going to pray for your eyes to be open to behold the glory of the Lord. Like, please don't. Never before. I. <laughs> he wants to give us visions. Where did he say that? Of his goodness, of of his fullness. And the Bible is full of vision. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is that if I focus on the word and meditate on it and allow the Holy Spirit to paint the picture of that within my mind's eye, that it enhances my ability to receive visions. um, For (laughs) Okay, um, so is that what you just described there? You know, I I remember back in the days before cable television, you know, we had to, uh, they would broadcast a television signal and you'd have to pick it up. And and the television we had had those little rabbit ear antennas on it. And uh, so is what you're describing here kind of like moving the rabbit ears on your old television so that you can you know, get the broadcast clearer? For the Lord or about his kingdom. So one of my favorite portions, and there's a number of them, but one of my favorite uh, portions is out of Ezekiel 1. Uh, Ezekiel 1 tells me how I can have visions of Jesus? And it says in verse 37, then I notice from the appearance of his loins and upward, well, Actually, let's go back to verse 26. It says, Now above this expanse that was over their heads. <laughs> I told you it was Freaky Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, she grabbed the wrong verse there, didn't she? Ooh. <laughs> let's continue. There was something resembling a throne, like lapis lazuli in appearance. And... <laughs> Like Lepa's Lazui? Hey guys. <laughs> hang on a second, hang on a second, hang on a second. Oh man, I've got to get there. Ezekiel, hang on a second. Oh man. Ezekiel chapter one. <laughs> Lepis What? Hang on, hang on. Ha <sighs> um. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 1, above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what that appearance of his waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around and downward from that, the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire. There was brightness around him. Where are you getting the lapis louis? Maybe it's a different translation. Oh man, this I'm not going to make it through this. I can just tell already we're I'm having problems backing it up just a smidge. No. So, the, one of my favorite portions and there's a number of them, but one of my favorite uh portions is out of Ezekiel 1. And it says in verse 37, then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward. So, well, actually let's go back to verse 26 it says now above this expanse that was over their heads there was something resembling a throne like yeah i gotta tell you you know just starting that i hate to go here that that verse just grabbing verse 37 out of context that can create an awkward hermeneutical moment and uh yeah that's that's a firm argument for <laughs> my favorite three biblical rules of interpretation context context and <laughs> context 
lapis lazuli in appearance and on that which resembled a throne high up was a figure with the appearance of a man then i noticed from the appearance of his loins and upwards something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it and from his loins uh, from the appearance of his loins and downward i saw something like fire and there was radiance around him this is jesus as the man of fire okay so jesus the burning man got it as the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. Now this problem, I, I, I haven't really read this passage in context. This could be Jesus, okay. So was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the lightness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. When I was learning how to... Yeah, now, just a qu- quick question. The, you started off the question, have you ever had a, a, a vision of Jesus? Answer, well, no. And then you asked the question, do I want to? And then you read this passage. Um, how exactly, again, does this prove that Jesus wants me to have a vision of him? How to enhance the seer anointing. I would take scriptures like this and the one in Daniel also and the one in Revelation. And I would just sit there and meditate on it over and over again. Uh, like a mantra. Can you imagine what this would be like? Oh, Lord, you know. Uh, No, I don't even want to imagine. You're scaring me. He is sitting on his throne, and the appearance of him is like fire from his loins upward and fire with his loins downward. and it's, It's just like this radiance all around him. And I would allow Holy Spirit to paint a picture in my mind's eye. Just meditating on the word, letting the power and the authority of the word of God itself to. Man, I I really don't want to ask the Holy Spirit to create a picture in my mind of Jesus with burning any, especially burning loins. To have a place within my imagination as the Holy Spirit directed me. And I found that as I did that, all of a sudden in my prayer times when I was praying or when I was reading my Bible, my my visions in my mind, that's what they, it's, it's called in Daniel when he said, I had visions in my mind. The visions in my mind got stronger and stronger and more of them. And it opened up. Have you considered seeing a professional regarding this particular problem? Up a whole realm of the seer anointing on the inside of me. We have a book online and it's called Eyes at Sea. Oh, another commercial. Okay, so this is all about promoting this new book, Eyes That See. Didn't you do that last week? It'll actually help you if you go to the online bookstore at xpmedia.com. It'll help you understand how to open up your spiritual vision. It's it's. Ex- Okay, don't you think if the Bible wanted me to open up my spiritual vision that there would be a section in the scripture that says something to the effect of, here's how you open up your spiritual vision. I'm just not familiar with any passages of scripture that even remotely say anything like this. Excellent for it. It's just a little book and it'll really help you. But God wants you to see. And I know that some of you have already had visions of Jesus. How do you know God wants me to, quote, see in this seer vision thing that you're talking about with flaming loins? I remember one of the first visions that I had of Jesus was kind of a disturbing vision in a way. Yeah, like what you haven't described isn't disturbing enough. Because I saw him as a majestic warrior. And he, he was like, it was stronger than in my mind's eye, but it wasn't quite an open, uh, open vision like as though you're standing right in front of me. It was, what is she talking about? It was like, in, 
in in a vision in a faint vision form but strong enough in my heart that I could tell what he was and he was this huge warrior and he was majestic and he looks here we go again Jesus the warrior so strong and 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 he was a God that couldn't be conquered. He was beautiful, and he had all his armor on and everything. And then all of a sudden, I started seeing this vision, him taking his sword, and he started cutting off his hand and cutting off his feet, cutting off his knees, and he dismembered himself. And I was... This is going to want me to have visions. I, that I, that I could potentially see Jesus dismember himself. Can I just pass on this altogether, please? Horrified with that vision because he had been so beautiful and so strong. Yeah, that would be horrifying. Lord, I don't understand. Why are you cutting yourself up? I don't understand why you're telling us this story. He says, that's what happens to me when my body cuts up each other because they're cutting up the members of my body. Well, then stop teaching false doctrine because that's how you cut up the body of Christ. It's the false doctrine that does it. You know, like this stuff that you're teaching right now. And it had such an impact on me that it put me into intercession for the next year in an amazing way. One vision of Jesus can do threw you into intercession for a whole year. Is that like purgatory? That for you. And I've never forgotten that vision. And I probably never will. So I want to pray for you. No. Get visions of Jesus. No. I know. Whether it's in your mind's eye or whether it's an open vision. I know that God wants you to enhance visions of him. Uh, Where does the Bible say that again, Patricia? I would highly recommend just going into the word and meditating on all the visions where it shows the appearance of Jesus and just to spend time meditating. on. How about, you know, like reading the book, you know, for understanding and soaking in the glory of that. Here we go again. Soaking. Apparently God's a big jacuzzi. And that will help you. It'll, it'll enhance you. Look in your mind's eye at the man of fire. Look in your mind's eye at the, at the, at the beautiful Jesus in Revelation 1 where his face is, is shining like the sun in its strength, you know. And just get a glimpse of who he really is and let the Spirit of God fill you. So, Father, in the name... No, no, you're... No, no, no. Stop. No. Done. Sorry, Patricia. <laughs> you don't get to pray for me. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid if you pray for me, I'll end up in hell. Okay. <laughs> okay, that was really, truly frightening and disturbing. And the weird part was it was far more frightening and disturbing than what we heard from the third eagle of the apocalypse. Yeah, and uh, we're going to take our second break, and uh, when we come back, we're going to continue with our Freaky Friday edition of Fighting for the Faith with a Joel Osteen (laughs) sermon. We'll be right back. If you'd like to email me uh, regarding anything you've heard on this edition or Fighting for the Faith or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at my email address, uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We will be right back. If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. 
Of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music, you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Freaky Friday edition of Fighting for the Faith. That's because we did Friday Light on Wednesday. Yeah, you know, no better way to round out a Freaky Friday edition than with a good old... Joel Osteen sermon. Let's cue up the sermon review music here. The good, the bad, the ugly... We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon is entitled "The Letting God Do It His Way. Stay open for God to do it His way. That's what it's called. Stay open for God to do it His way. Yeah, this is from Joel Osteen from Lakewood out there in Houston. And uh, before we get into the sermon, I'm going to actually play the commercial that's at the front end of the sermon. Yeah, normally I don't give free advertising to somebody like Joel Osteen, but I, I want you to hear what uh, <clears throat> this um, thing is that he's making available for everybody is and what it's about. this music here. Although I love this part. All right, I, I got to stop. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Anyway, uh, so without any further ado, here's uh, first a commercial for, you know, for Lakewood. 
And uh, and then the sermon by Joel Osteen, Stay Open for God to Do It His Way. Yeah, here, here we go. The journey to becoming a champion is often filled with unexpected challenges. See, already we're off to a bad start. The journey to become a champion. <clears throat> really? W- w- huh? No matter how great your plans are, life doesn't always turn out the way you've planned. Oh, boy. No matter how great your plans are. I know the plans I have for myself, declareth me. Plans to prosper me and to do me no harm. Even despite life's setbacks, by hanging on to God's hope, you can face any obstacle and believe that he still has great things in store for you. Yeah, because that's what the gospel... You know, let's preach that one to the uh, martyrs of the uh, <clears throat> first and second, third centuries. Yeah, God's got great plans for you. Yeah, did you know that God's plan for you is to become a torch? Yeah, you get to be a tiki torch at Nero's garden party tomorrow night. Isn't that great? What a great plan that God has for you. In this new audio and video series by Joel Osteen, you'll be encouraged to rise above your circumstances and over... (laughs) Yeah, that's what you're doing. So when you're, you know, you have the power to believe that as you're becoming a champion, the great things that God has planned for you, again, preaching to the first century and second century and third century martyrs, yeah... You know, so when you're out there, you know, zipped up in that animal skin and, um, you know, there in the Colosseum and, you know, well, the gate opens and out come the lions, uh, just rise above your circumstances. That's how you outwit those lions. You just rise right above them. Come every challenge you might be facing in life. You'll be inspired to thrive in the victory that awaits you. As a thank you for supporting this ministry. No, he doesn't itch any scratching, scratch any itching ears, does he? Joel and Victoria would like to send you Thrive, Rising Above Your Circumstances. The scripture says in all things, God has made you to be an overcomer. Know today you have great value on the inside of you. God needs you, so step out in faith today. Don't put your... Does this even remotely sound like biblical Christianity to you? Life on hold. Everything may not be perfect, but today you have what it takes to overcome. I love the fact that the scripture says what was meant for our harm, God will use to our advantage. Yeah, could you put that in context for us, Joel? Sometimes it's easy to think, well, this unfair situation has happened, or somebody did me wrong, or life hasn't treated me right. But you know what? Don't use it as an excuse. God still has a purpose for you. You can overcome and not just survive, but God wants you to thrive and, and see your best days still out in front of you. Yeah, that's because that's what Chris, all your best days are still ahead of you, you know. Know that Victoria and I love you very much. Oh, that's awful kind of you. We pray for you every single you do? day. We believe that you know, when you keep God first place, he's going to take you places that you've never even dreamed of. Law. Thank you so much for praying for us. We feel like together we're... You know, it's funny. I do actually pray for you, Joel. Um, I do. And I pray that God would open your eyes and grant you repentance of your heresy and bring you to your knees so that you'll renounce all this silliness and all this false doctrine and all this uh, ear scratching that you're doing and that you would instead preach the biblical gospel and sound biblical doctrine. So I do pray for you. Able to make a difference and your prayer and your support is greatly appreciated. But be blessed today. 
To request your copy of Thrive, Rising Above Your Circumstances, visit us at joelosteen.com or call us at 1-888-joelosteen.com-8567-joel. That's what I need. I I need a pirate Christian radio phone number, you know, 800-555-ARG. Well, God bless you. Always our joy to come into your homes. We love you. We know God has great things in store. And if you're ever in our area, I hope you'll stop by and be a part of one of our services. I promise you this, we'll make you feel right at home. Thanks so much for tuning in today. And again, thank you for coming out. I'd like to start with something funny. And I heard about this elderly lady. She went to church one Sunday morning. You know, he has the same formula for every sermon. A friendly usher met her at the back door and said, Ma'am, where would you like to sit? She said, I want to sit on the very first row. The usher said, Oh, no, ma'am, you don't want to do that. Our pastor is very boring. He'll put you to sleep. Let me seat you somewhere else. She looked appalled. She said, Sir, do you know who I am? He said, No, ma'am. She said, I am the pastor's mother. (laughs) He hung his head in embarrassment, and finally he looked up and he said, Ma'am, do you know who I am? She said, No. He said, Thank God. Hold up your Bible and say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. You mean a sinner. Have what it says I have. Uh, You have nothing before God. You're empty and poverty-stricken in your own righteousness, and uh, you have nothing. I can do what it says I can do. Which says you can do nothing. Today I will be taught the Word of God. Probably not. I boldly confess. Who cares? Like, that's going to help anything. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, God bless you. I want to talk to you today about staying open for God to do it His way. So often, we put God in a box. We tell Him how to meet our needs and when to do it. And We do? Huh? Who He should use. We've got, uh, huh? Got all these. I don't ever remember doing that. Preconceived ideas about how it's going to happen. But what? But it says in Isaiah 55, God's ways are not our ways. They are higher and better than our ways. The way God chooses to do something may not be the way that you were expecting. Uh, Isaiah 55. What verse again was that? Hang on a second here. <sighs> ways are not let me see if I can find this do a word search and I want to search all of the Bible specifically the Old Testament ways are not hang on um I want this in the Old Testament yeah I'm doing a word search here and you know see if I can find this passage in Isaiah 55 hmm um here we go Isaiah 55 verse 8. If you have your Bible, flip on over to Isaiah chapter 55. Let's, um, yeah, he just kind of just threw that one out there. Can, what if we put this back in context? Let's see what happens if we did that. Yeah, because remember, the three most important biblical rules for biblical interpretation, context, context, and, uh, well, you know, context. All right, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1 reads from the ESV, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. 
Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples and a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not uh, know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Wow, this is a great gospel passage, don't you think? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Hmm. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that uh, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I have uh, that 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 which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing to which I sent it. Hmm. Yeah, he just kind of lifted the you know, when you put see I read this all the way to verse 11, verses 1 through 11. And uh verse 7 in the immediate context, in fact in the same paragraph, starting at verse 6, let me read, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near, let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. See, this uh, verse 8, when you read it in its immediate context, is talking about repenting and being pardoned for your sins and forsaking your ways and your unrighteous, sinful thoughts and uh, being pardoned by God. But Joel just kind of lift out the my thoughts are not your thoughts stuff, and now he's turning it into something that, well, the text doesn't say. This is not about making room for God doing it his way. The whole about thoughts, my thoughts are not your thoughts, has to do with God's holy and righteous, holiness and righteousness. And, hmm, yeah, see, when you put it back in context, it's not saying anything like what Joel says it's saying. If you are set in your thinking with preconceived ideas of how God's going to do it and who he's going to use, you might miss the answer that God is sending you. You could overlook someone, not even give them the time of day, yet God sent them to be instrumental in your life. You could pass on an opportunity because it's not what you had in mind, yet the fact is God is sending it to try to take you to a new level. Uh, hmm, Isaiah 55, 8 doesn't say any of that. How'd you find that in that text again, Joel? What am I saying? When yeah, that is a good question. <laughs> and even more important, where did you get this? The answer shows up. It may not look like the answer you were expecting. One time, the disciples were on a boat. They were rowing across the lake. 
in the middle of the night. and The wind was blowing very strongly against them. So much so, it was almost impossible to get to the other side and to keep going forward. And as they struggled and... This sounds like that text that Judah Smith mangled the other day. Struggled. I can hear them say, I wish Jesus was here with us. He could calm these winds down. If he was here, it would be so much easier. All of a sudden, Jesus came walking on the water beside the boat. The scripture says the disciples screamed in terror. They thought it was a ghost. What happened? Jesus showed up a different way, and they didn't recognize it. They had never seen him in that form. They had seen him during the day, teaching on the Sea of Galilee. They had seen him feeding... Um. They didn't, they've never seen him in that form. What form was Jesus in? Jesus was still the incarnate Son of God, God in human flesh. That was the God man Jesus. He was still in the same, his form hadn't changed, Joel. What Bible are you reading from? The Gnostic Bible? The 5,000, healing the lepers. They knew what he looked like during the daytime, but they had never seen him in the middle of the night during a great storm walking. How much do you want to bet the disciples had seen Jesus at night? They just had never seen a human being walking on water. Walking on the water. And sometimes when God shows up a different way, we don't recognize it. You could have the answer God is sending you right now. Jesus could be walking on the water right beside your boat, but because the answer is not what you thought it would look like, because you have preconceived ideas, it could keep you from seeing what God is sending you. Oh, man. And where are you get? How are you getting this out of the Bible again? My challenge is to stay open. The answer may not come a familiar way. It may not happen like it happened last time. God may show up in another form. When I look back over my own life, I... Yeah, you notice the text he quoted didn't talk about Jesus showing up in another form. I can see where time and time again, God blessed me through people that I never expected. God brought me through things in ways that I never dreamed of. He showed up in another form, in the form of a friend that I never expected to be a friend. He's preaching from his own life now. He used people to help me that were not on my list of who I thought God would use. I remember when we were trying to acquire this facility, there were two people that came in contact with us. They were very influential, very well-connected, but they didn't have any kind of religious background. They were a little rough around the edges. In other words, they loved to party. They loved to have a good time. They were good people, but they were a little far out. And it's interesting. We didn't pursue them. They pursued us. One of them told me, Joel, this is my personal mission. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that you get this facility. My first thought was, is this right? This is like oil and water. It's not what I was expecting. God showed up in another form. Was I going to be open and recognize the answer God was sending us? Or was I going to let preconceived ideas cause me to miss it? 
I was smart enough to say, God, do it your way. If you want to use these people. I was smart enough to say, God, do it your way. Oh, I'm so glad you set such a fine example for us. You know, I can't, I've kind of lost count of how many sermons you've used the purchase of your facility as the sermon illustration for. More power to them. We'll use their help. But see, a lot of times we have God in this box and we think, God can't use that man. He's a sinner. He can't use her. She likes to party. He's got a bad attitude. She's sarcastic. He doesn't even believe in God. Now listen, the longer I live, the more I realize God can use who he wants to use. God can bless who he wants to bless. God can... That's timeless wisdom there from Joel Osteen. Yeah, God can use who he wants to use. Whew! Never saw that one coming. Bring good out of who he wants to bring good out of. And we got to quit putting God in our box, telling him what to do and when to do it, and making these narrow-minded judgments of who's good and who's not good, and who God can use and who God can't use. Listen, in the scripture, God used Rahab the prostitute to save the people of Israel. God used a donkey to speak to a prophet. God used mud and spittle to heal a blind man's eyes. God used a little boy to feed 5,000. God used Pharaoh's daughter to take care of baby Moses. In other words, God used the enemy to take care of his children. Friends, God is God. He can do what he wants to do. (laughs) Yay, God. Man, talking about shallow and vapid. Good night. Don't put God in a box. Yeah, they, you know, don't do that because, oh, man, that, like that's like kryptonite for God. You put God in the box and it's all over for, for God, poor God. I mean, he's practically helpless in one of those boxes. And miss your miracle. He may show up in another form. And some of you today are too narrow-minded. You've seen God during the day, so to speak, like the disciples, But now God's showing up in another form. Instead of being open and being willing to try something new, becoming friends with someone that's not like you, trying a new opportunity that you've never done before, you've got God in this box thinking, this couldn't be for me. Oh, that's what I got to do. You know, those of you complaining because, you know, I've got friends who are heretics. (laughs) Yeah, you're just putting God in a box. Oh, good night. (sighs) I can't even do it jokingly. I know it'll never happen this way. No, you may have the answer that you've been praying about. You just don't recognize it. My sister Tamara had her mind made up about what kind of man she was going to marry. She had a list in her mind of what he was going to look like, what he was going to do, what kind of family he was going to be from. All these conditions, very specific. Of course, there's nothing wrong with praying and believing, having ideas and goals, but you have to stay open. God knows what you need more than you do. And your idea may not be exactly God's idea, but I can promise you this, God's way will be better than your way. Yeah, I'd like for the defenders of Joel Osteen to please explain to me how this is even remotely biblical preaching. And Tamara went off to college and she met this young man that got interested in her, but he had red hair. Well, Tamara didn't want somebody with red hair. Red hair was not on her list. Plus, he was way too tall. Tamara is about five feet. This young man was well over six feet. Big, strong, athletic guy, played college baseball. 
Tamara would call home and say, well, this guy named Jim keeps calling me and calling me. I've told him month after month, I don't want to go out with him. I'm not interested in him. Well, Jim finally wore Tamara down. And just to get him to quit calling, she agreed to go out to dinner one night. They went out and they just hit it off. Tamara called back and said, you know what? I think I like this guy. He's friendly. He's kind. He's loving. He's got a good personality. He loves his family. On and on, she couldn't quit talking about Jim. Today, I just want to let you know that this story does not actually appear anywhere in the Bible. 25 years later and four kids, Tamara and Jim, are still growing strong. Praise the Lord. They pastor Faith Family Church in Victoria, Texas. Jim was recently voted one of the most influential people in all those counties. What am I saying? Tamara had... Yeah, please, can you somehow tie this back to a clear passage from the Bible that actually says something for real about God? Had the answer God was sending her, but she didn't recognize it. God showed up in another form. Are there people in your life right now that you're writing off because they don't meet the conditions on your list? They don't have the right background, the right height, the right job, the right personality, the right, the right theology, the right doctrine, the right gospel. Right nationality. How do you know you're not missing out on an incredible friendship because of preconceived ideas? Oh, yeah. You know, you're missing out. That's what Jesus died on the cross for. Well, Joel, I'd never be friends with them. They don't have my same interest. They work in a different department. They don't meet the 127 conditions on the list of who would be my friend. You need to get out of that little narrow box. Tamara thought she would never marry someone with red hair. But do you know today, Tamara loves red hair. You'll be amazed at what you find you love if you just give it a chance. Victoria always thought she would marry someone much taller than me. But think about it. How could she resist this face? What are you laughing at? Some of you women, you're praying for someone tall, dark, and handsome. Can I be real truthful with you? They may show up short. You haven't been yet, at least in regard to what God's Word teaches. Light and not so handsome, but there'll be somebody you can't live without. After all, what's on the inside is more important than what's on the outside. Looks can change. I remember a whole high school buddy of mine. He was the star football player. He was built with this incredible physique. He had Just want to let you know, this uh, story does not appear in Scripture either. He had this thick, curly, blonde hair. He looked like he was just out of a surfer magazine. All the girls were crazy about him. I saw him recently, and it's funny, he still has that thick, curly hair. The only difference now is he can take it off and put it back on. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, how clever, how funny. I mean, that one really got a good short a lot of the <clears throat> folks in the audience. Uh, again, what does this have to do with God's word? The, you know, how is this church again? Stay open to the people God put in your life. Don't have a narrow box to where everybody has to look like you and think like you or you write them off. I saw recently where these baby tiger cubs lost their mother. Normally, they would never survive. But somehow, this big mother pig found them and took them in and nursed them and cared for them and protected them. 
It was the strangest thing. They had a picture. It showed all these baby tiger cubs cuddled up to this big mother pig. You'll never know what kind of friendships you could enjoy if you'll just get outside of your box. Just want to let you all know the story of the mother pig with the tiger cubs. Again, not in the Bible. And stay open to the people God brings across your path. I remember the first time I ever met Marcos Witt, our Spanish pastor. Marcos is one of the most well-known ministers and worship leaders in all of Latin America. I had So they teach the same vapidity to folks in Mexico, Latin America. <sighs> Heard a lot about him down through the years, but I'd never met him, never even seen him. And one day his office called and asked if he could rent our facility to have a Spanish concert. And normally we don't do that, but I'd heard so much good about him, we said yes. And the night of the concert, I came down to meet him. And I walked in the back room and I saw this middle-aged Caucasian man over to one side and I politely said hello and I kept walking. I wanted to meet Marcos. <laughs> I looked in another room and another room, nobody was there. And I came back to that main room and he came up to me and he put out his hand and he said, I've been wanting to meet you. My name is Marcos Witt. I nearly passed out. Here, he's the leading... I just want to let you know, this story does not appear in the Bible either. ...Hispanic minister in all of Latin America. And I mean, he is as white as me. God has a sense of humor. I told him, Marcos, I don't mean to sound surprised, but I just thought you'd look like Julio Iglesias. <laughs> Yeah, that got a good chortle out of the, uh, the audience. Again, what does this have to do with anything that has anything to do with the Word of God? <laughs> but what happened? God showed... They're laughing themselves to hell. ...showed up in another form. It wasn't what I was expecting. And it's funny. I had prayed about, believed to have a Spanish service for a long time, but I always thought it would at least be led by someone that looked Hispanic. But I almost missed Marcos. I passed right over him because he didn't fit into my mold. Look around in your life this week. Are there people God has put there that you're writing off because they don't meet your conditions? You've already prejudged them to not be for you because of how they look or what they wear or where they come from or what they do. Now, you've got to get out of that box. If Tamara would have done that, she would have missed out on a great husband, Jim. If I would have done that, we might have missed out on being blessed by Marcus Witt. We might not even have our Spanish-speaking service. Sometimes we allow tradition to keep us from seeing the new thing God wants to do. Before my father went to be with the Lord, I worked in the television department here, and we would broadcast the services on Sunday. And I would work with the ushers to seat the people properly. The old sanctuary held 8,000 people. and At the time, we would have about 6,000 come out on a Sunday morning. One of the main ushers would say to me time and time again, Joel, one day this place is going to be filled to the top. It's going to be packed full of people. I would always say, I agree. I believe that too. Well, my father went to be with the Lord in 1999, and I stepped up to pastor the church. And I didn't even know this was in me. But by the end of that first year, the building was full to the very top just like he talked about. So much so that we had to start a second Sunday morning service and that filled up and then we started a Saturday night service. Whenever I would see that usher, I always think to myself, he must be so happy 
It's not only filled once, but it's filled twice. That's what he talked about all those years. But what's interesting is it didn't happen the way he thought it would happen. I don't minister exactly like my father. My father was more of a fireball. I'm more laid back. My dad's mission was to bring down the denominational wall so that God's people could all worship together. We are... Uh, Really, he was a pastor and that was his mission? Wasn't his mission to preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name and uh, make disciples? You know, baptizing in the name of... Yeah. Hmm, I didn't realize pastors had individual missions that were different than the mission that Christ actually gave the church. We are living in the day my father dreamed of. Most people now are not really concerned whether you're Baptist or Methodist or Church of God. I mean, you may be here today, a Catholic, sitting by a Pentecostal, sitting by a Presbyterian. Next to a Mormon. Sitting by someone that doesn't even know what those names mean. The walls have come down. But this usher was so set on it happening a certain way, the way my father did it, that when I came along and did it a little bit different, even though it was filled up twice, he couldn't accept it. He, Yeah, you know, filling it up doesn't really actually dictate as to whether or not it's true. The question is, what are you preaching? And apparently we couldn't fill a thimble with the biblical content of this sermon. Moved on. What was the problem? God showed up in another form. He didn't recognize it. He was stuck. Oh, I see. So you're blaming all of your vapid teaching that everyone seems to love so much that you fill that great big basketball stadium, you know, twice every Sunday, every weekend, and that's proof that God showed up in a different form. Yeah, the form that has, well, he showed up in the form that has nothing to do with his word in a form that is actually contrary to his word. Yeah. In tradition, he had God in this little bitty box thinking, if it's going to happen, Joel's got to be just like his dad. No, God is doing a new thing, and the new thing is not going to look like the old thing. Stay open. Really? God's doing a new thing? Where does it say that again in the Bible? Where did, huh? So the new thing God is doing includes, well, not actually being connected to his word in any substance and form at all. Don't get stuck in tradition. God is a progressive God. Oh, boy. Uh, does George Soros contribute financially to your church, Joel? I really believe one reason that some churches are not growing today, they're even going down, is because they're stuck in what God was doing 40 years ago trying to make it happen today. There's no anointing on it. What God did back then was the right thing for then, and what God is doing now is the right thing for now. Can you back that up with any scripture? I mean, you sound you sound like Doug Paget the way Paget argues. He just makes these assertions and then doesn't back it up with anything. If you're going to be blessed, you're going to experience God's best. You've got to let go of the traditions of yesterday and come over into the God of the now. Yes, because the God of the now, he's not tied to the Bible, sound biblical doctrine, you know, the biblical gospel, God's word discipleship where you actually learn what God's word really says and you know no that's the old thing God was doing and say what God did back then is great we celebrate what my father did we celebrate the message of power to the denominational world 
But we can't get stuck there. This is a new day and God's doing a new thing. We see this even in the scripture. John the Baptist showed up wearing camel skin, eating locust and wild honey. Have you seen John the Baptist lately? Preaching like no one they had ever heard before. He was different. He didn't wear robes and stay in the synagogue. What did the religious leaders say? He's got a demon. There's something wrong with him. He couldn't be right. Oh, please tell me he's not going to compare himself to John the Baptist. You know, because, you know, the gold thing that God was doing, you know, was with, you know, this crazy wild preacher out in the middle of the Judean countryside wearing camel's hair, hair and eating locusts. But now the new thing God is doing is, you know, with a guy with plastic hair and white teeth. God showed up in another form. They didn't recognize him. Even Jesus, they were waiting for the Messiah, but because he showed up as a baby... Oh, this is getting worse than I thought. Please don't... Please tell me you're not going to compare yourself to John the Baptist and Jesus. Notice he's not actually teaching from the Word of God at this point. I mean, this is just blasphemy. Many people didn't recognize him because he came in a manger through a young teenage girl born in a stable... Many people didn't even pay attention. Jesus grew up and went about healing the sick, bringing hope to the fallen, lifting the hurting. You know, dying on the cross for their sins. Hello. Oh, yeah, that's right. You don't use that word. He wasn't like the other religious leaders. He didn't spend all of his time in the temple in synagogues. He spent his time among the people. But instead of celebrating him and being happy for the good he was doing, The scripture says they despised him. They called him a friend of sinners, a friend of tax collectors. What was the problem? They didn't recognize the new thing God was doing. Oh, you have got to be kidding me. That was their problem. They didn't recognize the new thing. Uh, See, if they had just recognized that God is always changing things up, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. Oh, Oh, man. They had God in a little bitty box. Don't let that be you. Stay open for something new. What God did 20, 30, 40 years ago, that was great. But what God is doing today is not going to look like what God did back then. Don't... Oh, man. This is just steered into the satanic. Get stuck in tradition. If you do, you'll develop a critical spirit. And you'll start to find fault with everybody that's different than you. Yeah, yeah, that's my problem. I'm, I'm just, I developed a critical spirit. Yeah, that's why when I listen to a Joel Osteen sermon and I hear him twisting God's word, apparently I'm just, I just got a critical spirit because I'm hanging on to tradition and I'm not open to the new thing God is doing because the new thing God is doing involves twisting his word and preaching so little Bible that you can't fill a thimble with it. And you'll go find your own group so you can sit around and complain and criticize and talk about the way it used to be. Well, Joel, this is not the way my great-grandmother had church. With all due respect, your great-grandmother is in heaven. This is not your great-grandmother's day. This is your day. Wow. Well, Joel, these are not the songs that we sung when I was growing up in church. We sure didn't have those electric guitars. We didn't have those lights that move around and change colors. And, and we had a preacher who actually, you know, opened the Bible and read it. 
Yes, but this is a new day. It's the same God, but he showed up in a different form. Can you- oh, that's it. Yeah. See, yeah. Cause, yeah, the new thing that God is doing has nothing to do with his word at all. Just whatever happy fortune cookie sayings Joel Osteen can just spew out here. You recognize it? Well, Joel, you don't use as many scriptures as your father did. You don't even use scriptures correctly. I mean, comparison of quantity seems kind of silly at this point. You don't teach line by line, verse by verse. You don't even teach the Bible correctly. No, that's because I'm not my father. No, it's because you're a heretic. If God wanted us to be like somebody else, he would have made us as clones. Uh, You know what's funny is is that God's word actually commands preachers to, well, you know... (laughs) Preach the word. How did you get an exemption from that particular passage? Now, quit trying to make what happened yesterday happen today and just enjoy what God is doing right now. Wow. Wow. This is just blasphemy. This is an awesome day to be alive. This is a frightening day. Would you ever dream that we would be having church in a former basketball arena? No, it and you're not their pastor because you don't know any of them. <sighs> I grew up watching the Rockets play basketball here. I had season tickets right back over there. In fact, somebody's sitting in my seats. <laughs> Every time I come in here, I'm still amazed at God's goodness. When I was growing up, a church of a thousand people was a big deal. Now there are churches all over with thousands and thousands of people. The scripture says, Thank the Joel and sing his praise. Tell everyone what Joel has done. Let everyone who seeks the Joel rejoice and gladly share Joel's name. He recalls the promises that have been filled for him. Is this the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house? Another twisted scripture. Wow, this is quite a litany. That means what God is doing today in your life is going to be greater and more powerful and more exciting. Yeah, right. And more effective and more influential than what God did in the past. Oh, man. This is the worst blatant ear scratching that I have heard in a long time. Unbelievable. But. Praise the Joel. If you get stuck in yesterday and you refuse to let go of tradition, you will miss the greater glory, the greater... Yeah, see, that's your problem. See, if you're, you know, you're attending a church like this, and you're sitting there going, you know, he really doesn't use the Bible, and I'm not really learning anything from God's Word. And then when I open up God's Word, it seems to contradict everything he says. Yeah, see, the problem's you. Yeah, it's not Joel. No, 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 that, because Joel's, well, he's part of the new thing God's doing. Yeah, see, the problem's you. You just, you're, you're just not, because God, you're just not seeing that God showed up in a different form, you know, in the form of Joel. Influence the greater favor. We don't serve a God of yesterday. We serve a God of right now. And what God is doing right now is going to far supersede anything God has done in the past. I hear people say, well, Joel, I'm just praying for revival. I've heard that since I was a little boy. I'm praying for a move of God's Spirit, and I understand what they mean, but I don't think they realize that we are living in revival. 
We have some 30,000, 40,000 people come out each week, and churches around the globe are impacting their community. How is that revival if they're not hearing the Word of God? They're not hearing the preaching of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. They're not repenting of their sins, and as a result of it, they're not trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. How is that revival just because a big number of people show up? God's favor is on His people like never before. This is the best time to be alive. Sometimes we think, well, if I could have just lived back there in Bible days with Moses and Abraham and David and Esther and Sarah and Ruth, you know what those people are saying up in heaven? If I could just live down there with Joel and Susan and Maria and Chris. Really, that's what they're saying in heaven. They're in the very presence of Jesus himself, and they're sitting there going, oh, if only I could have lived down there with Joel. Really? What evidence can you provide to substantiate this claim? They've got all kinds of technology. They've got basketball arenas. They've got satellites. They've got all kinds of ways. To- you know, false teachers uh, that scratch itching ears, yeah, that don't preach the word. Yeah, wow, what a bonus. Advance the kingdom. What a great day to be alive. Don't miss what God is doing. The opportunities around us. Well, you're missing it because you don't even read his word. The solutions to our problems, they're all there. We just have to stay open and get God out of our little box. There's a man in the scripture by the name of Naaman. He was a captain in the army, a very important person, but he had a problem. He had leprosy. He went to the prophet Elijah and asked him to pray that God would heal him and Elijah said, yes, God will heal you, but here's what you have to do. Go down to the Jordan River and wash seven times and you'll be made whole. Well, Naaman had these preconceived ideas about how it was all going to happen. That struck him as being odd. He said, Elijah... So apparently the whole point of the story of Naaman being healed by the prophet Elijah has to do with, well, he needed to recognize, he 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 had to get God out of the box and you know, get rid of those whole preconceived notions so that you can see the new thing that God's doing. I thought two words that almost kept him from his miracle. I thought you would just speak to me and make me whole like you've done for so many others. I thought you would just lay hands on me. I thought it would happen like it happened for my great-grandmother. Naaman had to make a decision. Was he going to stay stuck in tradition and miss his miracle? Or was he going to take a step of faith and recognize that God was doing a new thing? He finally convinced himself to go down to the Jordan River, and when he came up the seventh time... So apparently this same decision is before you right now. Are you putting God in a box, and are you going to miss your miracle? Or are you going to see the new thing God's doing? Yeah, that's not the point of that passage at all, is it, Joel? Of course, you're not really reading it in context. He was perfectly whole. But here's my point. He had the answer that he needed, but he almost didn't recognize it because it was not what he was expecting. Could it be that you have the answer you need today, but because it's not how you thought it would happen or who you thought God would use, you're not pursuing it, you're not moving forward? I think about my father. As a young man, he had a dream to pastor a church with thousands of people in it. In the early 1960s, that seemed impossible. There weren't any big churches back then. My dad was pastoring a small church. He was on the state board for his denomination. 
Every Just want to remind you all, this story is not found in the Bible either. Thing was going great. But what my father had on the inside was bigger than anything he saw in his denomination. He prayed for God to open up new doors and give him more influence. He started preaching to his congregation with a new fire, telling them that God was a good God, that he could do miracles, that they could live a life of victory. It's this message of faith that we have today. He thought the congregation would be excited and that's how God would increase him. But it was just the opposite. They didn't like his new message of faith. It didn't fit in their denominational mold. They were steeped in tradition. Uh, You mean steeped in sound biblical doctrine and recognize that for what it was, heresy? Down deep, my father knew he was supposed to leave that church. Looked like a setback, but really it was a setup. It looked like the end of a dream, but really it was a new beginning. He didn't realize it at the time, but that was God showing up in another form. He could stay there and play it safe and let tradition set the limits for his life. Notice what he's attacking. If you believe in sound biblical doctrine, correctly handling God's word, and you properly reject the so-called prosperity gospel, the so-called word of faith, you're just steeped in tradition and you're missing the new thing God is doing. Yet he's not teaching from the Bible, is he? He's not correctly handling God's word, is he? Or he could take a step of faith, recognizing God was doing a new thing. He took that step of faith, and that's when he started Lakewood Church in 1959 with 90 people in an abandoned feed store. All the critics said, it won't last, it'll blow over. And sure enough, it did. It blew over the whole city. Here we are today, still going strong, 51 years later. Here's my point. The answer didn't look like what he thought it would look like. He prayed for increase. At first, he got decrease. He prayed for more influence. At first, he got less influence. And friends, God knows what he's doing. If you'll stay in faith, it may look like a setback, but it'll turn out to be a setup to take you to a new level of your destiny. And some of you today, you have the answer that you need. You don't recognize it. My challenge is to stay open. Don't be set in your thinking to where it can only happen one way and you've told God how to do it and who to use and when it could happen. Let God out of your box. He may not use somebody that's on your approved to use list. He may take you in a way that you never thought possible. That's God showing up in another form. Don't live narrow-minded. Get rid of preconceived ideas. God's ways are not our ways. They are better and higher than our ways. And if you will stay open and let God do it his way, then like Naaman, you'll get your miracle. Like my father, you'll see promotion. Bible doesn't promise you your miracle. Wow. Wow, is this awful. Is it me or has Joel gotten, like, dramatically worse? Like my sister, you'll discover lasting relationships. I believe and declare you will overcome every obstacle, defeat every enemy, and you'll become everything that God's created you to be. Amen. Do you receive it today? No. We never like to close our broadcast without giving... You an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me? Just say, Lord Jesus. All you got, yeah, you you want to be, you make the Lord your the Lord of your life. Here you go. This is all you got to do. I repent of my sins. What's a sin? 
come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. Friends, if you prayed that simple prayer, we believe you got born again. Well, that's how you do it. That's right. Boom, right? I mean, right there. You just got born again. What a train wreck. No sound biblical doctrine. God's word twisted and mangled into a pretzel. A whole bunch of anecdotal stories about him. And um, and promises that God doesn't promise you that your you know your your future is going to be better than your past. You're going to grow in influence, and the new thing that God is do, is doing. If you don't recognize it, then you're going to miss your miracle. But if you can you learn how to recognize it, then God will give you your miracle. And the Bible teaches none of this nonsense, none of it. And that's the largest church in the United States of America. God, please rescue us from these wolves. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew... You are signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to uh, send in the amount or make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button or send your gift and make it payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it along to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. My email address, if you'd like to email me, is talk back at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or you can follow me on Twitter my name there, Pirate Christian. Till Monday may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>